Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Ditchwitch, proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined as always by the host of Bass Edge Television, everybody's favorite bass fishing host, Aaron Martin. How are you, my friend? Well, I can tell already you have been out on vacation way <laughs> too long, but no, it's good to have you back, Steve. We have a great show lined up. BASS Elite Pro Brian Snowden joins us, and then a little bit later, we'll have Matt Pano of Optimum Baits. Well, this is going to be a good one. Let's get to it. Get it like that one, boy. Good job. I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing. Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. (laughs) Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh? That's full contact fishing right there. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. It's been a few weeks since I visited with you. Uh, what have you been up to? Man, I tell you what, I have been slaving away while you have been <laughs> out on this quote on assignment. Now, now. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's been a good week, Steve. Anxious actually to hear what went on with your trip. Um, I've got to do a little fishing myself. And uh, how did the Texas trip go? Man, the Texas trip did not go very well. You know, we went down to Fork. And they'd warned us about this before we came in, that they had a cool spell. The water temperature dropped six or seven degrees and they had a north wind and it was tough we struggled to catch what we caught and did not catch any of the big fish that you expect out of lake fork so that means you know it just means i've got to go back down and do some more research so. absolutely now do you think that it was because <laughs> of the florida strain of bass that's in there or uh, what do you kind of attribute the lack of success to well you know lake fork was my home lake forever and i've just i've never seen a lake that i thought that the fish could turn off so totally and i think it is that florida strain and I honestly believe that in the summertime like this, it's usually great fishing. Just hot Texas summer, man, great fishing. But it just seems like any change in temperature, uh, water temperature, any of those things, not so much that the cold water bothers them as much as just the change. And so, uh, you know, you know how it is. You should have been here yesterday and you should have been here next week. They had uh, caught at 11.47 on the hump that we that we fished the week before. And they're probably catching them right now because it's hot again. So I'm, I'm, I'm gathering that uh, maybe perhaps the... The average size or the smaller fish didn't even bite. No, they didn't. It was tough. We had to work hard for the few fish we caught, and we won't even talk about those. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it was it was rough. We night fished, and uh, they told us before we came, they said, man, you won't believe how it shut down. You picked the wrong time, and of course, I'm good at that, but I'll just have to go again. I just have to head back down there next week, maybe. Exactly. That's all the more reason to get out and do uh, some field research and write those stories, and uh, now you know what isn't working, so maybe you can go back down there and figure out what is working. Well, you know, usually Fork is a great summer lake. I mean, fishing in the hydrilla, especially at night. But, you know, this summertime, this can be a tough time to fish around the country. And I knew when I was younger, I just didn't get it at all. I mean, I just didn't catch any fish in the summer. And I think the biggest reason for that is, you know, not that the fish aren't feeding or hitting, but it's just that they're suspended in the water column. You know, I just later in my life developed the ability to catch some of these suspended fish. But I know that's kind of your favorites. I mean, you enjoy fishing those suspended fish. You know, you are correct. I do 
like to fish uh, this time of year, but Steve, I've got to be honest with you. I spent uh, many a day and night sharing your sentiment, chasing some bank runners with uh, very limited success. And it's just of late that I really feel comfortable being able to go out and, you know, target fish this time of year. Well, you know, I know that uh, Table Rock you're talking about there, you know, it is a good lake. I mean, as far as finding summertime suspended fish and out there, it's, you know, it's find the shad, find the fish and the birds can help you out. You know, I know it's a big time of year to use your electronics and uh, Mr. Dropshot, Aaron Martin himself likes that sort of fishing, don't you? Well, I do. But, you know, really, I'll be honest with you, this year I've, I've forced myself uh into kind of picking up a different skill, I guess, if you will. Table Rock, it's a a lake that offers all three species and different ways to fish. And being able to go out and target smallmouth and spotted bass, you know, this time of year, like you've heard us talk about so many times, you know, hitting that drop shot. This year, I really wanted to go out and consistently be able to catch and target black bass, the largemouth. And, uh, you know, going out to those trees and and being able to uh, target those largemouth, Steve, um, I got to tell you, I've been having some fun doing that. Well, that's got to be a lot of fun. And uh, one of the techniques that we used in Fork for so many years, and I, I hate to, I hesitate to say this since we <laughs> had such a bad trip over there, but it really is something we've been doing over there for 20 years, was the fish would tend to like to suspend around the trees. You know, you get tree stumps that are, you know, in 20 foot of water, and those fish are about halfway down. And one of the ways that we were always successful, and I'm just shocked we didn't catch something this way the other day, because we always have, was to let that bait go over the limbs or, you know, the tree itself, the the main stump. And and we're using like 10-inch worms. And just crawl that worm back up the side of the tree. And, I mean, those fish will suck that daggum bait off that tree. And it's a great way to catch suspended bass in lakes where you've got a lot of timber. Boy, and you better be hanging on to the way it sounds because uh, that thing crawling up the, you know, the side of that tree or hitting it on the fall, you know, <laughs> get your arm broke. Well, and you better hit him hard because you need to get him out of that tree pretty quick. But we've caught some awfully big fish down there, and it's just a good way to, you know, it's just a good different type of suspended uh, technique to use when you're fishing around a lot of trees. Well, it is, and, you know, and that's the, I think the fun part uh, about this time of year is, don't get me wrong, there are still, you know, going to be fish that are holding shallow. But when you have the opportunity to target smallmouth and spotted bass and largemouth and just kind of trying getting in tune with their behavior and what they're doing based maybe on the river system or the private body of water, the pond or the, the reservoir that you're fishing, uh, that is, is why we do what we do. Well, and that's so true. And of course, going back to the trees again, if you've got a lake that does have some current coming through it, they really like to hang on the, on the down current side of those trees, even out in the deep water, especially near the main river channel where you may have a high current. So that's just another good place to look for summer bass. Well, most definitely. And, you know, speaking of even out on the lake, I mean, this time of year, let's face it. And Brian's probably going to be talking about this a little bit when we join him next, but we're anywhere where that a, a river channel hits up against a bluff, you know, that is going to be a perfect, uh, you know, ambush spot uh, for the bass to be holding out because the bait fish is going to be there. Well, that that's so true. And it just, you know, you just reiterated what we said uh, about deep fishing in the summer over and over. Find the shed, find the bass. But uh, I tell you what, let's, uh, I'm looking forward to that interview with Brian. Let's slip away for a few seconds here and we'll be right back on the edge with Brian Snowden. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. 
It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zod, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. Welcome back to The Edge and certainly appreciate those words from our sponsors. Joining us today is a highly respected angler for his consistency of interpreting bass behavior. And here to share his wisdom and hopefully rub off on us is Brian Snowden. Brian, thanks for riding along today, man. Well, thanks for having me here, and I appreciate it. You know, Brian, uh, I guess when you kind of think of summer breaks, that's probably more associated with, you know, kids being out for the summer on school. But uh, this has been a little different for you in the fact that you've had quite a bit of time off between events. Has has that really, I guess, helped or, or hindered you or really no effect? You know, I think it's uh, it actually probably hinders the anglers a little more. I like to, you know, be on the water. It kind of helps you stay in tune with your equipment, um, your your lures, and just the fish in general. You know, it's just like any athlete. I think the more you do it and the more time you spend learning and, and developing your skills, the better you are. So the breaks tend to be a little long, longer than I would like. You know, I like a week break in between a tournament. So, you know, that keeps you in, in focus and, and used to being out in just the, the elements, you know, being out in that weather. That's a good point. Um, because not only is it the mental aspects, the physical things like you bring up, and then also just like we've talked about as far as momentum. And I think it's fair to say that bass fishing is really a lot like any other sport, tennis, basketball, bowling, whatever, in that to get better, we have to be able to practice kind of that fundamental development. What are your suggestions for practicing improvement of skills and not so much as far as practicing for a tournament? Well, just to, you know, practice improving your skills, you can do that. You don't actually have to go to the water. You can do that in your backyard or a city park, you know, very inexpensive. Just take some lures that you want to learn, you know, for casting accuracy and things like that. Remove the hook. You can practice flipping, pitching, um, and then you can practice, you know, underhand roll cast or distance casting to, to, you know, to be real accurate with those casts. And that's a big, you know, I mean, that saves the day. If you spend less time getting hung up, more times in the strike zone, you're going to catch more fish. So a lot of the basic stuff I'll do, you know, in the wintertime or when it's cold, I can do it in the house or, you know, like I say, just in the front yard or backyard. Well, you bring up a good point there, Brian, because obviously a lot of us are limited on the time that we have and any time that we can uh, do that close to home, that's going to be sure that the time that we do have on the water, we're going to be uh, at least trying to have success. And kind of transitioning that over from the fundamental now into the behaviors of bass, do you really make sure that you are on the water throughout the course of all the different seasons uh, that are going on and kind of those migrational uh, routes of bass and being able to practice? Oh, yes, Aaron. You know, that's that's the most important thing, finding fish. That's what everyone talks about. And the only way to really learn that is to experience it firsthand. You know, you have to be out on the water. You, you learn from the different circumstances, whether it's cloudy, windy, rainy, you know, sunshine. You learn how the bass position themselves, and you have to learn that because they react different in the spring, summer, winter, or fall, you know. It, it, it changes throughout the season. And, uh, you know, the only way to really learn that, you can read a lot of great information, you know, just like what, um, you know, the Bass Edge is producing, the television shows, the online information you can gather. But until you're out there doing that, 
you don't get the true understanding and feel for it like you do when you're on the water. And what about as far as geographic location? You know, you travel from east to west, north to south, see a lot of and experience a lot of different things. Are there similarities that you see that you're able to really put to your advantage uh, regardless of where you're at geographically? Uh, Yes. You know, basically, once you start understanding water temperature and how those bass react to it, a lot of times it's just, you know, it varies. You know, if you go south, the springtime occurs earlier. Uh, the winter time is much later, or very, you know, it's, it's a much smaller window. As w- when you travel north, you know, New York and some of those states up there, springtime's later in the year. So it, it's all dictated by water temperature. And once you learn how the bass react to that water temperature, you can go throughout the United States and kind of duplicate that. Now, their environment's a little different. You know, grass, highland reservoirs. Uh, lowland reservoir, so the structure and, and some of the areas where they like to inhabit are different, but at least you know a good starting point because of their behavior due to certain water temperatures. So, you know, I really try and base everything on water temperature, what they're doing for that water temperature. So let's let's kind of bring this full circle. As anglers right now, what are the techniques that would make sense for us to be sure that we are practicing right now that chances are it's going to be, you know, another 12 months before uh, we see this seasonal pattern or condition be able to come back around? Well, you know, we're, we're in the dead of summer right now, so you're going to be looking, you know, more for deeper structure, you know, something that either, you know, is a ledge, a point, uh, deep grass lines on lakes that have grass. Um, that type of stuff is going to be real important now. Um, you're also going to be looking for more suspended fish. If you have a shallower lake with a lot of boat docks, say Lake of the Ozarks or, you know, different lakes in Alabama that have boat docks, you know, shade and, and positioning that way, you know, around those boat houses where they're suspended fish due to the, you know, the hot sunny days of summertime. So really you're going to have, you know, two different techniques you can use, you know, boat houses, some shallow cover that produce shade or your deep structure, which is really what I like because it's really consistent day in and day out in the summertime months. What about, as you throw one other thing in there before we dive off into some of the deeper structure, what about as far as current? Does that have a uh, hindrance or a help uh, this time of year? You know, I like current in the summertime when you're fishing a river or that type of situation because it seems to position the fish. They like the current. It brings in new nutrients for the bait fish, brings in oxygen, which is real important as the water gets real hot. You know, some of the water may be in the upper 80s, low 90s. So that, that added oxygen that, that, you know, is in that current that is available because of that current current, you know, just brings everything in there. The bait fish and the, the predatory fish just follow those bait fish into those areas, and it really makes any, the fish easier to catch, I believe, just because of the way they position themselves in that current. What about as far as how would you define kind of the deeper structure? Perhaps you could give us some examples uh, across the country, but also what are you using to target, you know, these deeper fish with this time of year? Well, this time of year, you're going to use, you know, crankbaits, Texas rig worm. You can use a you know three quarter one ounce spinnerbait. You can use a spoon, drop shot, Carolina rig. You know something that's going to be able to get down in say the 15 to 35, even 40 feet depth range. And you know you're going to have to be effective. You know covering those depth ranges. You know and you're really going to concentrate on like bluffing, more vertical drops, um, ledges on the main river channel that drop say from 10 to 25 feet pretty rapid. Um, the fish this time of year seem to like breaks that are you know, a little steeper where they can move up and down not very far and change, you know, the depth from 15 feet to 30 feet in a relatively short span. And I'm guessing that you're probably using a combination of maps, maybe electronics to, you know, seek out these areas, but also more importantly, maybe find out kind of where the presence of bait are. 
Yes, bait is important, and it becomes more important as you know we get later in the year, more in the fall. But right now, bait is important, and then also one thing people overlook a lot of times on most lakes, they'll become a thermocline, and the fish tend to be right in that thermocline area, like on Table Rock Lake and Bull Shoals and some of the lakes around here, usually forms around 35 feet. And then, you know, that's where the, the cooler water with less oxygen meets the warmer water with more oxygen, and that's really where the bass tend to tend to locate on those structure spots. So if you can find that, or know where that is, you know, that's really, you know, electronics are real key in finding those thermoclines, and those bass are going to be right around that area. Is that something that you can see on your electronics, Brian? Yes, you can. You know, the best way to find it, i found, is just to idle across a large creek, you know, like the mouth of a creek, you know, and you can just idle from shallow to deep, turn your sensitivity up very high, you know, and you will see a clutter. It looks just like a little line um, of specks, and that's where the water changes temperature. Um, You can also, if you have a thermometer that actually can be lowered in the water, you can lower it down five foot intervals. It'll go from like, you know, 72, 72 to 45 or 50. Um, so that's the break. That's where the thermal climate is. Gotcha. And, you know, speaking of kind of these steeper uh, areas in these, let's say we've already pinpointed, that's kind of the description of what I grew up fishing at night. And my question is, what is your opinion on having success at night? Does that necessarily translate into success during the day or is that really two different approaches altogether? I think it definitely translates into success of the daytime because, you know, you're fishing for one, you're using Texas rig worms, crankbaits, uh, spinnerbaits, but you're, you know, you're actually use your sense of touch, feel, because you're limited on what you can see at night. You know, I found myself when I night fish a lot, you know, you're really feeling the bait, you're working the bait real thorough, and you're feeling the rocks, you're feeling the change in the rocks and how it falls and how the bait is actually working. So I actually, you know, really enjoy night fishing because of that aspect. You know, it seems like for me, there's less distractions, you're more in tune with what's going on, and I think it's a great way to learn a new bait just because you use your feel a lot more than actually visually looking at your line and things like that. That is true because, you know, one of the things that I always appreciate, especially if you're fishing around like a lot of standing timber or boat docks or something like that, it really puts it into perspective on how good of a caster you are based upon your touch and your feel. Right. And, you know, it's real critical in the daytime, but as well at night. And the best thing about night is you can use a little bit bigger baits, a little heavier weight, you know, and, you know, I like to fish a lot of bluffs. You know, you'll look for standing timber on bluffs, a little bit of change in the rock from, say, big ledgy rock into some gravel. Uh, a lot of those, you know, the official position on those transition areas on a bluff. And, uh, you know, at night, you just don't have the boat traffic, the noise, the waves. A lot of that is uh, eliminated just because there's no one out there. So it gives you a real good opportunity to, uh, I think, fine-tune your skills. Sure, good point there. And, you know, I've always thought that one of the reasons why they're holding on that vertical structure, like you mentioned earlier, is just the ability to move up and down and adjust in within the water column. So, um, you know, light penetration as the day moves on, perhaps all they're going to do is move a little bit deeper. So that would be a good place to be able to come back during the day. But, you know, Brian, a lot of reservoirs and river systems, you know, have these long stretches of bluffs that we see and and they go on forever. And pardon the pun, but I really want to kind of dive off deeper into how you're approaching these bluffs, a where to start, maybe what you're hitting them with as far as lure and bait choices. Can you help us out there? I'm glad to, Aaron. You know, this is the perfect time to talk about bluffs. I really like to fish bluffs in the in the summer and in the wintertime. I like to look for a bluff that, you know, actually has a little bit of variety to it. We're going to want some, depending on the if it's a river system or, you know, an impoundment like Table Rock. 
they're going to vary in depth, but you're going to want a, a, a bluff that actually has some uh, rock change, you know, maybe where it changes from a smaller chunk rock into the steep vertical ledge rock that you see or that you associate with bluffs. And I like one that either has some laydowns, you know, if it's on a river system, maybe, you know, a few fallen trees as the bank has been eroded by the creek channel laying into the water or like table rock, you know, it'll have standing pole timber and cedar trees and that can vary anywhere from five feet to 65 feet. And um, basically, you know, those are going to be the key things I look for is rock change on the bluff and wood cover. And, the, you know, the great thing about bluffs is it's going to be, you know, usually they're going to relate to one end or one type of cover on those bluffs. And once you figure that out, I just like to run and fish those types of structure, you know, if it's the rock change on the end or if it's the little ledgy rock with standing pole timber and 15 feet of water. You know, you can work those areas, and then I just try and move on to the next bluff. Uh, or if it's a laydown, you know, if the bluff's shallower, where, you know, is 0 to 15 feet is as deep as it goes, you know, you might have a big laydown tree where you can, you know, work bait through that laydown, a crankbait, a jig, something like that. The baits that I really like to use on bluffs are baits that I can, you know, either fall real slow or, or have a subtle fall and, and uh, crankbait. I like to use crankbaits definitely on the end or the change where the rock changes. And then if I'm doing the actual vertical or steep part, you know, I'll, I'll get real tight, parallel that bank. And uh, then I like to throw finesse worm on a shaky head or a jig. And jig works really well. You know, either one of those baits, it allows you to work it down the ledge, you know, because there's going to be several ledges on a bluff. It's not always going to be just the deep ledge that they'll be on. You know, they might be on the 10-foot ledge. There might be a couple ledges in 15 to 25 feet. So, you know, those type of baits that fall and you can keep it close to the edge of those drops, you know, each little drop, you want to make sure you work those baits down those ledges, and they seem to be the most effective for me. And, and uh, Texas Rig Plastic Worm at night is very effective on bluff. Well, it's certainly good stuff. And one other, I guess, in closing here that I want to get your thoughts on before we close it down, uh, certainly one that I've seen tied on the end of your line many times is a spoon. But really there's a couple variations, I guess, if you will, of a spoon. Could you break that down for us, Brian, and then also talk about maybe how uh, you apply the different spoons for different techniques? Sure. You know, basically we have the standard, you know, like a Bass Pro Strata spoon in a half ounce or three-quarter ounce. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a narrower slab of lead. You know, and they come in gold, white, uh, nickel finishes. And those baits are basically what we like to use as, as a vertical bait. You know, those are going to be baits that are dropped down to fish in, in, in depths of 20 to 60 feet, and they work in a vertical fashion. And as you bring the bait up, it flutters down to the bottom in a fairly quick manner. The um, other types of spoons which you're referring to are the bigger flutter spoons. You know, Strike King makes one, Bass Pro Shops makes a flutter spoon. There, there's several brands, but these are about a five, a four and a half to five and a half spoon in length, and they weigh about three quarters to an ounce and a quarter, but they're cupped. And the cup design of that spoon allows that bait to be casted. And when you work the bait, you just you actually you know you'll pump the rod in an upward motion, and then as you let it fall, it'll flutter from side to side like an injured or dying bait fish. Very similar to the regular strata spoon in the falling action, except it does it you know in a much wider area. I guess would be the best way to put it. Whereas the other spoon falls better vertically than the than the flutter spoon. You know, basically I like to use them on a seven foot rod. 
you're going to use heavier line. I like to use 17 to 20 pound line. And the big key, like with the uh, flutter spoon and the strata spoon, is just make sure you have real good hooks on them. I like to use, you know, like a gamagatsu hook. Um, and on the flutter spoon, you definitely want to increase the size from the manufacturer. You know, you want to go to a one or two odd hook. You definitely want a bigger hook on that. It seems to really help your hookup ratios. And then also a ball bearing swivel on the front of that bait keeps it from twisting up your line so bad. And one last thing, Brian, as far as on the flutter spoon, um, is that something that as you cast out that you're kind of working maybe ledges or grass lines or something like that as you're working it back and kind of allowing it to pendulum swing back towards the boat? Yes, it's definitely more of a casting. You can work the edge of a grass line. It doesn't work real well, uh, you know, in grass because it'll get fouled. But the edge of the grass line and then any type of drop that's not, you know, real steep, it seems like a gradual drop because that bait, you know, as you bring it up, move it, you're going to move it five or six feet and then it's going to flutter back down. So, you know, um, if it has any type of ledge or like a point, a drop that, you know, comes from five foot to 25 feet at a slope, those are the types of baits you really like to use on on, on those slopes. Is the flutter spoon because you can keep it real close to the bottom and uh, and to work it out. And it's you know it's a quick way to work a point and very thorough. And you can cover a, a variety of depths with that bait. You know, it's however long you let it sink, is as deep as it's going to go. Well, uh, I can certainly say from the other spoon's perspective, the Strata spoon. You know, being able to set over those vertically, I love doing that. But uh, I've certainly set the hook on my fair share of trees (laughs) that I thought were really good fish but those both of those techniques in in my opinion are just bone jarring very fun to fish Brian uh, unfortunately man we are out of time but just want to thank you for being part of the show best of luck in the upcoming tournament and uh, again thanks for being part of the edge well thank you Aaron power productivity It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution, is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com. Hi, this is George Cochran. I'm Dave Wolak. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Clark Winland. Hi, I'm Chris Ball. Hi, this is Jim Tut, and you're listening to The Edge. Well, and it's always great to hear from Brian, kind of, I guess, a neighbor of ours. He lives about halfway between you and I here in the Ozarks. He does, and of course, you know, he doesn't spend, I don't think, too much time at home. Um, But uh, as we just heard, he is getting to spend a little bit more time this year, given the break that they've had on tour. Mm -hmm. Well, hearing him talk about fishing them ledges, I know that got you going, because I think that's kind of what you've been doing. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's, I've got to tell you, I was really having to hold back. And because on one hand, though, I loved hearing what he had to say because, you know, he does fish uh, a lot of the same waters that obviously that I fish and getting his take on it. I even learned a lot and, and took a lot from that interview. Yeah, you're exactly right, Steve. I love moving out on those ledges, uh, you know, those bluffs and, and kind of what I had alluded to a little bit earlier 
uh, as far as targeting the largemouth, you mm-hmm. know, and, and really using a technique much like, you know, you had described with that worm is taking a jig and what I call yo-yoing a jig or, or throwing it out, making, you know, about a 30 or 40 foot cast on a submerged tree row, letting that go down. And my case, I've been really kind of focusing in on that 26 to 21 foot range and yo-yoing mm-hmm. that jig through the limbs. And I'm telling you what, when you pull that over, a little bit different from like what you were describing on the upturn, normally I'm getting a bite on the jig on the down once it's mm-hmm. uh, actually crest over the tree limb, got that big heavy jig, so it makes a real rapid fall, and you better be hanging on. Well, that's so true, and I just, uh, yeah, I hated to hear I drove all the way to Texas not to catch fish, and you tore them up while I was here. <laughs> well, you know, of course, like like you said, that's that's normally how it goes, but I think, uh, you know, this pattern is going to be around for a long, long time, and that, again, is why, you know, that more vertical structure, much like Brian had pointed out, these bluff ends next to these channel drop-offs, these channel swings, the ledges, those type of things, they're able to move up and down because much like you had described mm-hmm. going to Texas, you know, that cold front moves in. Of course, they're Florida strain bass, but all they have to do here is just move vertically up and down in the mm-hmm. water column versus having to swim a long ways out. And uh, I think that makes a big difference. That's true. And i tell you one thing you said to me before we came on the air that I found very interesting, and it's sort of we talked about it here a couple of weeks ago, was that you had actually started catching some fish on some bluffs that you'd never fished. And you know Tay Rock pretty well. You fished most of them. But I thought that was a good point for our folks that were looking for a new lake. Uh, you found some new bluffs to fish and had great success. Well, kind of, you know, working with Jay McNamara, putting out a a fishing plan and a practice much like Brian had talked about of legitimately learning a new spot or a new technique. That's been really my New Year's resolution is every time I hit the lake is trying to go out and at least spend part of my day on the water fishing a brand new area. And, uh, you know, it's kind of got me fired up, I guess, if you will. And much like Mm -hmm. also using that jig, like we were talking about and yo-yoing that through resembling more or less that bluegill Mm -hmm. kind of going through the limbs. I've also been throwing one of those great big, you know, flutter spoons and uh, have actually knocked the paint off a few of those here lately. I tell you what, that just all sounds fun. I'm ready to go, my friend. Uh, let's, let's you and I talk after this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to get us a date. I, I'm ready to go catch some fish, man. I tell you. But in the meantime, we've had you all down in that deep water. But we're going to bring you up uh, up a little closer to the surface for our question this week. And Chris in Lansing, Michigan, has a great question for you. He says, "Hey, Bass Edge. First, I would like to say that I like the podcast. I think it has really improved my fishing." The other day, I was out fishing lily pads. I was throwing a spro frog and running it across the pads. I got a dozen or so hits in the 45 minutes I did this. The problem is that when the bass hit the frog, they would not eat it. They would throw it in the air and move it about a foot or so. What could I have done to get the bass to swallow this frog? And again, that's Chris from Lansing, Michigan. Well, first off, Chris, man, that's not fair to tempt me like that because uh, he, he's heard us talk on here before about 12 hits in 45 minutes. I know that sounds pretty good to me, man. I'm, I'm telling you, but uh, two things, actually, my recommendations are going to be one is, you know, the lily pads, when they are coming up through lily pads or matted vegetation uh, to eat, you know, what we consider a hollow body frog that's essentially floating stationary, a lot of times, you know, they're responding or reacting. So when they come up and they hit, let's say, catch a, a lily pad, it's going to move that bait over out of where they're trying to strike or likewise in a matted vegetation. One thing that you might try is A, leaving them there a little bit longer. I know technically, you know, the the key is you want to get their head up, get them out of the vegetation, get them moving towards the boat. But if they're actually not hooking up on that, maybe try letting it set there and see if they can't get a better bead on it and take it under and then set the hook. If that's still not working, 
always, always, always have a chase bait. Uh, you know, something to throw back in there into that boil because that is something that a bass is very customary to doing is going up, killing the bait, and then or stunning the, the bait or the frog or whatever it is that it thinks that uh, you're obviously enticing it with. And then it's going to free fall in this stunned or, or dead state down back into the water column. And then they'll come back around and circle back around and eat it. So always make sure you have some kind of a Cinco punch bait you know, soft creature bait that you can throw back in there mm-hmm. and be able to score on those fish. Well, that's so true. And I think fish that hit like that, a lot of times, like you said, it's a territorial thing. Boy, I wouldn't give up on a fish until he, he gave up on you. Because like you said, a lot of times it's just their inability to get the bait because of the situation. And so uh, I'd keep hammering them and then go back at him with the chase baits, like you said. And, uh, you know, sometimes a fish will, uh, you know, try to kill a bait, try to stun or kill a fish before it comes back or a bait before he comes back to eat it. So uh, that weight, I think, is just great advice. Well, anyway, we appreciate that, Chris. Uh, Sound like things are going good in Lansing, got them fish up and in vegetation. That sounds like a lot of fun. Boy, it does. We've got uh, another great interview coming up. We're going to slip away, and we'll be right back here on The Edge. A safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by MegaWare Keelguard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Hi, this is Pam Bolton, and you're listening to The Edge. All right, welcome back. When you think of the tackle industry, a lot of baits can be lumped into a trendy makeover of the same old thing. Well, Bass Edge hit the ICAST floor this year in search of cutting-edge companies that really offer something uniquely different. And with us today is Matt Pano of Optimum Baits. Matt, welcome to The Edge. Good to be here, Aaron. Thanks for the uh, phone call this morning. Well, absolutely. And uh, we'll start out by saying, I guess, that Optimum has been around since 1996, but probably for a lot of us uh, might be relatively new. Can you more or less give us the short version of and the mission statement of what Optimum does? Well, Optimum, like you said, it started in 1996, uh, basically off the shores of Lake Castaic and Casitas down here in Southern California. The uh, original inventor of Optimum, the late Sean Don, was a police officer and, and carved all these big swim baits by hand and made uh, the original Optimum in his garage. As his uh, demand grew, he came to my father and myself to uh, produce these big swim baits for him. We've got a, uh, a hand-poured factory down here in uh, Southern California. So we were the original uh, manufacturer of the Optimum for Sean. Well, that's certainly ex- exciting. And, you know, speaking of, of swim baits, they, they've been a, a hot item for the last several years. But really, you guys were kind of the first to introduce a, a swim bait that had the jig head internally built in. And, you know, maybe you could kind of enlighten us on why this is important and why it's a factor to our success when on the water. Well, there was a couple things why the internal jig head is key. First, it allows perfect position of the weight inside the swim bait. If you ever take a close look at how a trout swims in the water, Aaron, you'll notice that the head is facing down. And by the positioning the jig head inside the swim bait, this allows the bait to swim really, really true, just like a trout does. 
head down, tail up a little bit, and it allows for that perfect kick. You know, speaking of kind of how a trout swims, I mean, really, these baits aren't so much geographically limited to just bodies of water that stock trout based upon the kind of your color schemes that you've evolved into now, right? Right, exactly. I mean, that's how it started out with was being a big trout bait, but um, you're correct. We've evolved to have, I think, four or five different versions of shad, three versions of bluegill. No matter where you go across the country, we'll uh, make different colors to match the hatch. And one of the things that, you know, that I think is pretty um, unique is that line-through technology, you know, of having that insert. It goes through the nose of the bait, and when the fish strikes it, your bait's allowed to work up and kind of get out of the way and not hinder, I guess, a, a good hook set. Is that kind of the thinking or the thought process behind that? Yeah, we've evolved to um, our latest bait called the BLT, which stands for Baby Line Through. And uh, like you said, you, you run your line through the bait and tie it directly through the treble. So when the fish hits it, the bait will slide up the line, not destroying the bait. Plus, a big key is you get to fight the fish directly with the hook, and the bait's not going to interfere, so the fish's not going to have a chance to throw your uh, lure. Certainly, you know, is that's kind of what makes bass so challenging and, and the opportunity to catch them. And the last thing we need is uh, things that go against or, or hinder uh, getting them into the boat. It seems like I have enough problems uh, doing that on my own. But when you talk about bait design, it really takes on, a, I guess, a different meaning for you since you kind of get into the using of the CAD system or computer-aided drafting on baits like the Double Diamond Chat. Does this type of research and development really make the baits catch more fish? No, it does not make the baits catch more fish. However, it makes designing the bait a lot easier and a lot quicker for us. Obviously, we pride ourselves as being originators and innovative. So all of these baits obviously start out with from fishermen's ideas. The Double Diamond, for example, is a diamond-shaped swim bait. It looks like no bait fish out there. And that's the comment we get from everybody. However, the design is completely function-based. We wanted a bait to be able to have a, a nice body roll, a good tail kick, and swim in a kind of a zigzag action. Started with that idea, we wanted to be able to rig it multiple different ways, completely weedless, and also have the option to put your uh, jig head or um, use it as a trailer on a jig. And um, by using the CNC machine in the CAD, you know, we like to obviously perfect the bait. So using the computer, it allows you to be able to modify your baits really quickly so you don't have to start over again sculpting by hand. Well, I'm, I'm sure that uh, <laughs> that does that kind of expedite the process. And actually, my first introduction to the Diamond Shad was the new 7-inch, um, you know, that we saw there at the show. And you are correct. It looks nothing like anything that I've seen, but it has to really be effective around the right situations. So hats off to that. But perhaps you could briefly discuss, uh, because you have a whole nother segment of the business that is also kind of based on ingenuity and, and something unique, and that's the import selection. Maybe in closing in our last uh, minute or so here, you can kind of get into that. When I was in college, Aaron, I had an opportunity to study abroad. At that time, here at Optum, when we were exporting quite a bit of product to Japan, and we had uh, several Japanese clients. However, when they would come to the factory, no one could speak English, and we couldn't speak Japanese, and there would always be an interpreter involved. And uh, using a translator, points did not get across properly. So what I did was I ended up uh, studying Japanese in college and going over and lived in Japan for a couple of years studying the language and teaching English. After that, the Optimum brand got so popular over there, I decided to um, open up an Optimum Bates Japan office with one of the um, Japanese distributors. And I was able to um, work over there for a total of seven years running um, our business. And at the same time, I got to establish such great ties with all these Japanese manufacturers. You know, you get to work all these trade shows and me being the uh, pretty much, I think there was only two Americans living in Japan within the fishing industry. I got to meet all these great individuals, great 
lure designers, great manufacturers. And when I came back in 2005 um, or 2006, I think it was the beginning, I was able to set up an import distributor company within Optimum Baits and be the exclusive uh, importer for several Japanese manufacturers. Depths, Ima, Zapu, Vagabond being a few of the manufacturers. Well, that is certainly a neat story. And, you know, I think that's where a lot of anglers can appreciate the fact that this is stuff that uh, most of us have not seen. And certainly hats off to you for getting us introduced to that. And speaking of which, you know, we are out of time. But for those who are not familiar and uh, want to find out more about Optimum and also kind of the import, some of the other lines that you carry, where can they go to do that, Matt? The easiest uh, source would just be our homepage at OptimumBaits.com. And from there, you'll have uh, it's broken up real easy where you see all the Optimum line. And then I've got a section called Japanese Lures, and that gives you a breakdown on all the uh, Japanese companies we import. Well, Matt, all good stuff. Uh, once again, thanks for being on the show, and we look forward to uh, talking with you again in the near future. Thank you very much for having me. For all you listeners out there, go ahead and uh, pick up some Optimum Slim Baits and give them a try because you guys will be uh, pleasantly surprised. Now you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at BassEdge.com. that is it for today, but be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen each and every day on the World Fishing Network and also Wild TV in Canada. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from the pros and a chance to win great prizes. And for all of you Facebook and Twitter users out there, be sure to add Bass Edge to your favorites. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Air Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.